Any LeBron fans in the house? Anybody excited about Cleveland Cavaliers winning? Man, I grew up right outside of Akron, Ohio. I was at LeBron James High School Championship his senior year. It was incredible. My sister was downtown when the parade was happening in Cleveland. 1.3 million people showed up to high-five LeBron and let everybody know the Cleveland Cavaliers are champions. I just had to say it. It felt good. Was anybody cheering for the Warriors? Was anybody a Steph Curry fan? <laughs> they lost. They didn't win. They lost. Okay. Well, hey, if I don't know you or I haven't had a chance to hang out with you, talk to you, I just want to say that I'm excited. Pastor Amir asked me a while back to come and hang with you guys, and, and I just love it. My wife and I have been here in Arkansas for about eight years and we're originally from Northeast Ohio. We have two amazing kids. My daughter, Emma, she's about to turn nine. My son, Jaden, just turned four. We just got back from Disney World a couple days ago, which was absolutely insane. Uh, let me just tell you a couple things that I did before we went to Disney World. Because I'm a dad, I bought a fanny pack for the very first time. Yeah, and I rocked it. Uh, my wife bought one. And that's just, that's what happens when you're a parent, when you're an adult, you buy a fanny pack. We walked into Disney all day long. We went to dinner that night, and it was a dinner where all these characters, they came around. And so Winnie the Pooh and Piglet and all these characters came around to the table. And my, my daughter is freaked out, scared to death of anybody that's dressed up in a costume that's a, a man or somebody that is creepy. I mean, I'd be scared of it too, but my son, he loved it. Ran up to Winnie the Pooh and said, I love you, Pooh Bear, grab Pooh. My wife got pictures. It was the highlight of her trip, but the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, who is in that suit? Is that some freaky, creepy older man that's in a suit walking around to every table and just hanging out with kids? It was like, what is going on? How could you convince somebody to do this all day long? It was, it was a crazy full day, but we're back, loving hanging with you guys. And uh, tonight, I just want to talk to you a little bit about a couple things that I wish somebody would have told me maybe when I was where you're at getting ready to finish college, have finished college, you're into your career, you're a young adult, whatever your stage of life might be. Um, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up with parents that served God. I wasn't in church at all until I was a teenager. And so I grew up, I did not have a, a mom or a dad or a stepmom or stepdad that taught me anything about the Bible, didn't teach me how to pray, didn't teach me how to grow my walk with God, didn't teach me how to love Jesus, didn't teach me anything spiritually centered at all. So I'm just letting you know that I feel like one of the things I'm passionate about and what I really resonate with is when somebody says, well, I really foster, I want to learn how to grow in my walk with God, but I really, I just don't know how to do it. Or I, I know that I need to be growing in my walk with Jesus, in my relationship with Jesus. I hear people talk about it. I hear Pastor Rick preach about it, but how do I know if it's actually happening? Is there anything that I can look at? Is there anything that I could use to measure or to be able to look at and see at the end of a week, a year, a semester, where I could look back and say, man, I'm actually growing in my relationship with Christ. There are some things that are happening that prove to me that I'm actually maturing as a Christian. And so that's what I want to talk for just a little bit about. And this is going to kind of feel like if you were in my living room or if I were talking to you as friends that we really know each other because as soon as Amir asked me to talk about something for you guys, this is exactly what I wanted to say. Because I've been there, I know the frustration, I know how it 
can feel and how it is when you want to serve God and you want to do things right for, for Christ, but it doesn't feel like you're getting anywhere. Or maybe it feels like your walk with God is just a, an endless treadmill where you're showing up, you're doing the right things. You come to this ministry or you come to church on a Sunday or you've been on a missions trip or maybe you have a desire to do more for God in ministry, but it doesn't feel like you're actually growing. I've been at that place for a, for a long time. A lot of years I spent living in what I felt like was a roller coaster ride in my relationship with God. And if there's anything that I could say tonight that would help you and encourage you so that you can start to live a life where you can see true and positive and consistent growth in your walk with Jesus, I mean, that would encourage me as a pastor, no doubt about it. And so here's what I want to do. Before we start, I think oftentimes we don't receive something from God when it comes to someone that's communicating a message, whether it's on a Sunday morning, a retreat, on a weekend, because maybe our expectation isn't where it needs to be. And what I mean by that is, I want to pray one more time tonight, but I want to pray for each and every one of you. And I, and I would just encourage you and challenge you to do this at your seat. Put yourself in a place of expectation that God, the Holy Spirit, is going to speak to you tonight, is going to encourage you in some way so that when you walk out of here tonight, you can apply something to your life tomorrow. I don't know about you, but I hate coming to church or hearing somebody speak or listening to somebody communicate the word of God, and then at the end, I don't even know what to do with it. I'm not really sure how it helped my life advance. That's what I'm, I'm going to be praying for you guys tonight. So can we just bow our heads, close our eyes one more time, and we'll just pray. God, I just thank you for every person in this room, and God, I just pray that we would all have an attitude and a heart that would be positioned to expect you to do great things in our life. Maybe this summer has gotten off to a rough start for some of us, Maybe we're, we're bound by sin. Maybe we're in a place or a season where we're discouraged, where we don't really even want to be here tonight, where we don't want to hear from you. I know that I've been at that place in my life far too many times. But God, I pray that we would put ourselves in a position right now where we could hear from you. I don't want anybody to get anything from me tonight, but just strictly from your word, from what your Holy Spirit would be able to encourage us in. Because I know that God, one word from you, just one word can change our life forever. It can encourage us and change us in a way that no one else can. And that's what we're believing for tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you guys are taking notes, you can write a few of these things down. And uh, I'm going to jump around a little bit here and there. So I just want you to know these are some things that I just personally feel like are incredibly valuable, really invaluable. If you want to see growth in your life spiritually, if you want to be able to track it, as the years go on, you can, you can literally look back and say, this is how I'm, I'm growing in my relationship with Christ. First thing, people that are spiritually strong are applying spiritual disciplines. People that are spiritually strong are applying spiritual disciplines. And there are many spiritual disciplines that we could talk about tonight. I'm going to talk about three of them. I'm going to move through some of them fairly quick because there's some other things I want to encourage you guys with tonight. And there's three that I've keyed in on. There's many more. I want to emphasize that big time. But I think if you could get three of these down or start to implement some of these into your life, I promise you it will help you. The first one is prayer. And some of this is going to seem very simple. You're going to say, Foster, I've heard this before. Why are you teaching me? Why are you talking to me about this? It's because some of the most simple, basic, fundamental truths in the word of God are the most difficult to apply. It's because sometimes we feel like, well, I've heard that before, God, or I know that, God, or I've, I'm, I'm doing my best to implement or see this 
worked out in my life. But oftentimes, the simplest things are some of the things that we overlook that we don't even have as a consistent, fundamental thing happening in our life on a daily basis. So prayer. One of the things that I love about prayer and what the Word of God, what the Bible talks about, if you really were to research it and look through it, when the disciples, when they talked to Jesus, they didn't ask Jesus, Jesus, how can you help me preach? How can you help me communicate better? The disciples asked Jesus how to pray. In fact, in Luke 11, verse 1 through 13, you guys can write that down. I'm not going to read through it, but Jesus models out how to pray. He's encouraging his disciples the path and how to have an effective prayer life. And so just a few things to think about when it comes to prayer. If you're not aware how to pray or what to do when you pray, here are some things to consider. Prayer is a conversation with God. It's two-way. It's where you're communicating with him and you're giving him an opportunity to communicate back to you. Prayer is a spiritual exercise. It's asking, knocking, seeking, as scripture lays out. It's divine fellowship meaning you and I have a chance to communicate with the God of creation anytime we want. Prayer is talking to God, but it's fellowship with God. It means we get a chance to enter into a relationship, a conversation with a God that actually cares and has an answer to whatever problem that it is that we're walking through in our life. It's divine fellowship. It's a connection. It's an invitation. And it's a privilege. It's a privilege to be able to pray because whatever it is that you face in your life, whatever you walk through now, whatever you're going through, I promise you God wants to be involved. He wants to know about it. He wants to walk through it with you. He doesn't want to just sit on the sidelines and watch from a distance as you suffer and you're frustrated without the help of the only one that can truly bring change. Prayer is a command. Man, when we look at it through Scripture, a prayerless life is a sinful life. And that is not to throw out any condemnation or frustration if you don't have a prayer life. Guys, I went years of my life without prayer as being something that was fundamental and consistent in my life. Because I'll be really honest with you, I was insecure. I didn't know how to pray. Still, there are times in my life I don't really know how to pray. When you hear people talk about it and they say, well, you should pray more or you should have a prayer life. I almost want to say back, well, can you just tell me how to do it? Can you teach me? Can you tell me what are some fundamental things I could do, some basic things that would help me have a consistent prayer life with God? So here's something that might help you. And I don't necessarily love to throw these out. I heard these when I was in Bible college, and they've, they've helped me over the years, but sometimes they feel corny to me. But you can write this down because I, I definitely think it's going to help. Write down the word Acts. A-C-T-S, and next to it, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Now I'm going to explain that and what that means. I'm going to tell you why I'm giving this to you and why it helps me. Because I always like to have a path when I pray. Because if I don't, I'm so ADD, I'm so distracted, I'll think about and want to pray, and then two minutes later, I'm thinking about all the other things I've got going on in my day. I'm totally distracted. Anything that I'm praying, I don't even know what I'm praying. My heart's not into it. I'm not focused. And I can't even really five minutes after I'm done tell you what I prayed about because I really didn't have a path when I prayed. And so when you approach God when it comes to prayer, 
If you go to him first, adoration's the first one. What's adoration? It's simply telling God how great he is. It's making your circumstance small and making your God big. It's starting out by telling God, God, I love you. Jesus, I thank you for the cross. I thank you that you died on the cross for my sin. I thank you that you came to this earth. I thank you that I can have a relationship with the God of creation because of your sacrifice. It's telling God, it's magnifying him in light of our circumstances, regardless if our life is good or bad or whatever situation that we're going through. It's putting God in the proper position in our lives where he should be, which is number one, center, above it all. That's adoration. When it comes to confession, confession is now acknowledging our place, our position. It's basically saying, God, if there's any sin in my life, if there's anything that's keeping me, holding me back, preventing me from experiencing all that you have for my life, I'm confessing it to you. Now, this is a time where you can get honest with God, where you can get real with God, where whatever it is that you're going through, now you're starting to get one-on-one transparent with the God of creation. Thanksgiving is thanking God. It's, it's magnifying. It's glorifying Him in light of everything that's going on in your life. You're, you're again, thanking God that He's already taking that. He's already the God that's going to see you through that. Why? Because you've given it over to Him. You're praying about this situation. And supplication, that's just a big word for simply saying, now it's an opportunity for you to pray about you, to pray about whatever it is that you're walking through or with others. It's an opportunity for you now to bring your needs to God after you've already acknowledged Him you've confessed and now you've been thankful and now it's an opportunity for you to say, God, I just want to pray about this situation in my life. And the reason why I'm giving this to you guys is because oftentimes what we do is we just come and we just do supplication. We just come and we ask God to fix our problems before we ever acknowledge how great he is in our life. Because if Jesus never did one other thing for us but just die on the cross and give us forgiveness and grace and allow us eternal life, that's enough. He doesn't have to do anything else. Just coming to the cross was enough for us. But so many times, and I've done this. I'm only telling you this, and I'm only speaking a little bit strong because I've done it for so many years, where I run to God when I need him the most, but then every other day I forget that it's only because of his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness that I can even continue to go on. But sometimes we just pray to God when we need something. This is establishing prayer in your life because of how much we love God. It's just a discipline. This creates a spiritual hunger and awareness in our life when we pray. It creates a hunger and awareness. It just reminds us that God is the true source of our spiritual power. About two months ago, the alternator went out on my car, and I don't ever fix anything when it comes to cars. I've changed tires and uh, just batteries, basic stuff, but I was so frustrated about my alternator going out of my car, I told my wife, I said, babe, I don't care what you tell me. I know you're going to tell me it's a bad idea, but I'm changing this alternator on my own. And she goes, Lauren, that is a horrible idea. She goes, you've never done anything like this. You don't know how to work on cars. You're, you're not that kind of guy. You're not handy like that. I was like, babe, I watched a YouTube video for seven minutes, and I'm changing this alternator. I don't care. I'm doing it. So I went out. I bought the alternator, $150, and I went and I changed the alternator. It took me about five hours and it was, it was awful. I may have said some, I may have had some colorful language during that whole process. You don't, I, I don't know. I prayed about it afterwards. But I changed the alternator and had my neighbor come over who used to be a mechanic. He checked it out. And so I was all excited. I was so proud of myself. I'm taking pictures. I'm getting ready to Instagram it. 
but then I go to turn the key, and the car doesn't start. And so it wasn't the alternator. So I went and I spent $150 on a brand new part, and that wasn't what was actually causing my car to be broken. And I, I mean, guys, I was freaking out. I was, I was so frustrated. Well, my neighbor, he comes over, and he looks, and there's a, there's a connector. And it's attached to the alternator, but the wire is all messed up. It's corroded. It's kind of frayed a little bit. And he just looked at me. He goes, his name's Nick. And Nick goes, Foster, I think if, you just, if we just change the connection, if we just fix that, he goes, I think the car is going to work. I was like, Nick, please don't tell me that. Because we just spent like a half of a day changing out the alternator. So he, he clips the wire, reconnects it, and all of a sudden my car starts it didn't cost me a thing. It, was, it would have been a free repair, but I put this brand new part in my car, and I was so frustrated. As I'm, as I'm sitting there that night, I'm thinking about it. I don't Instagram anything, by the way, because that wasn't a proud moment. I wasn't going to do it. But as I, I felt like the Holy Spirit taught me something in, in this whole lesson of not to repair cars anymore. Because I noticed that there have been times in my life when I'm frustrated, when I'm going through and walking through things that I don't really have the answers to, I tend to go and change everything in my life. I try to address the problem on my own and fix it on my own. And I think that sometimes if we would just address the connection issue between us and God, and once we get that fixed, the other areas of our life that are meant to operate and work the way God intended will begin to function properly if we'll just fix the connection to the power source. Sometimes it's not something messed up in a relationship. Sometimes it's not something messed up with your future. Sometimes it's not something messed up in your, in, in your life outside of your walk with God. Sometimes it's just we need to get connected back to the source again. And then the other areas of our life will fall into place the way God has orchestrated it. Why? Because we're connected to the one that's bringing the true power. So it creates a spiritual hunger and awareness. The second discipline, write this one down, solitude. Solitude. Jesus calls us from loneliness to solitude. And here's why I think this is big and why this has made a difference in my life over the years. And no one ever talked to me about this and, and why this is important or why that I feel like this is valuable. It's because I think that sometimes our fear of being alone drives us to the noise and the crowds of our culture. Meaning because we've never been taught how to be alone and how to spend time with God by ourselves, we don't know how to do it, so we constantly seek the affirmation from a culture that honestly can only deliver loneliness if that's only the place that we're seeking true fulfillment. So when we have a discipline of solitude in our life, here's what happens. First of all, Jesus modeled this lifestyle for us. In Matthew 14, 23, and in Mark 1, 35, you can write those scriptures down. Jesus actually lays this out. I'm going to read it here. But he's one that consistently and constantly got away from the crowds. After he fed the 5,000, Matthew chapter 14 this is what scripture says in 14 verse 22. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night, night fell while he was there alone. So even Jesus was saying, there are times in our life we need to get away from the crowd. We need to get away from the noise. We need to even get away from the applause 
because we need to get time alone with God where we can hear his voice, his leading, because we're silencing everything else around us so that we can be led by his spirit. Loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. And without silence, there is no solitude. Psalm 46.10 even encourages us. It says, be still and know that I am God. It's awkward sometimes to feel the solitude and the silence in our life because we're so used to being connected. I've noticed this with my, with my own kids. As a dad, I'm not perfect. We mess up daily as parents. But when we sit down for dinner, I make our kids. We, we turn our phones off. They have to put their tablets down because it seems like we can't go five minutes. And I'm, I'm telling you for myself, and there's no judgment here, but some of you, you've looked at your phone, you've texted, texted somebody, you've surfed you know, some sort of a social media site while I've stood up here speaking. I do it every weekend when I'm in church, so there's no judgment. But I'm saying we've lost as a culture the value of just being able to sit and be in the moment and listen because there's so many other things pulling for our attention. So solitude brings us to a place where we're focusing only on the Spirit of God. We're focusing only on the presence of God. And I think it's something in my life that I need more of because I need to be reminded of who God is in my life. So here's what we're going to do. This might seem awkward at first, but we're going to play this out tonight. Here's what I want us to do. I want you to put your phones down, put your notes down here. You can put them down right now. Just set everything down on the floor. And I'm going to put a timer on. And I just want all of us, some of, some of you, you may have never done this before, so it's probably going to feel awkward. And that's okay. It's meant to feel awkward because you need to know how this feels. I'm going to put a timer on. We're going to go for four minutes. That's all. Four minutes. And I would encourage and challenge all of us. Can we go four minutes without making a sound and without opening our eyes? I'm saying this is going to be awkward. I don't want you to stare at the floor, the wall, the ceiling. I want you to keep your eyes closed. And I just want all of us in this room, I want you to focus on the presence of God for your life. Okay? I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're dealing with. But I want you and God, make this between you and him, as if no one else were in this room, and we're going to do this for four minutes, just as an exercise to see how this feels, because this is something we got to have in our lives personally. So I'm going to put this on. All right, let's do it, starting now. Go.
All right, you guys can look up. So the biggest question I have is, whose phone rang two minutes in? Sean, come on, man. Come on. Of course. The reason why we did that is that wasn't meant to be overly dramatic. But you can feel the tension when you're trying to be quiet, when you're just trying to stay silent. In fact, the urge is to want to end the silence. You want to get out of that moment. At least I have before, where you're thinking to yourself, there's something wrong. We shouldn't be sitting here this long. That's only four minutes. I love how Pastor Rick always communicates that the Holy Spirit, when he speaks to us, he speaks in a whisper. And it's hard to hear with the Holy Spirit. It's hard to hear what the Spirit of God wants to say into our lives if we don't take time to quiet ourselves enough when we can actually hear it. That's why solitude is so valuable. Last one, obedience. This is something I think will help you no matter where you're at in your walk with God. Be quick to obey. Be quick to obey. It's probably, I don't know, six months ago, maybe a little bit longer. It may have been last year. I was at Blue Sail and meeting with somebody. And as I was getting ready to leave, I saw another pastor in the community that I recognized and went over. We were talking and he was telling me something that was going on with uh, a building or something that they, they were trying to pursue within Conway. And I remember in that moment, I was in a rush. I was already out the door, headed somewhere else, needed to be somewhere. And I felt like I needed to pray for this guy real quick. And I'll be honest with you. Even as a pastor, I'm not ashamed to pray for somebody in public, talk about Jesus, but there are times where I just don't want to draw attention to myself. I don't want to make a scene. I don't want to make a big deal. So I wanted to pray for him, but I needed to get somewhere, and I'm almost convincing myself, I'm not going to pray. I, I need to go, but I felt like I needed to do it. So I just stood there. I was like, man, I just I want to pray for you right now. I said, okay. He said, absolutely. So put my hands on his shoulders. We prayed. In Jesus' name, amen. I start walking out the door, and as I'm walking out the door, Somebody was chasing me from behind. This has never happened to me before in my life. This guy yells. I'm, I'm walking down on Front Street. He goes, hey, hey, you. And I just I turned around, looked back. He goes, you pray for people? And I just thought, oh, God, no. I mean, I didn't know if he was a crazy man. And he's screaming from the inside of Blue Sail. I said, yes, sir, I pray for people. He goes, he goes come back here. I need prayer. And just slams the door. All right. So I go in, and, and I walk in. There's two guys sitting down at the table. And then the one guy's got a big smile on his face, and he's like, hey, man. I'm like, hello. And the other guy that was screaming out the door, he goes, hey, I didn't mean to scream at you out there. I was like, yeah, I know, but now everybody, they, they're watching us, so thank you. So we just start talking, and he, this guy just opens up. He said, man, I, I, need, I need prayer. I, I saw you praying for that guy over there. I was wondering if you would just pray for me. And so I thought, okay, yeah, great, I'll, I'll pray, no problem. And, uh, and the, the one guy that was sitting next to him, a friend, he said, you know, I'm a believer too, I believe in Jesus. And he, he said, after you pray for us, I'd love the opportunity to pray for you. I said, man, we're here, let's go for it. So I pray for these two guys and then get done. And this guy prays for me. And during his prayer, he, he prays and he looks up at me and he says, do you have a daughter? And I said, I said, I do. I said, I have an eight-year-old daughter. Her name's Emma. And he said, I just heard the Holy Spirit speak to me, and I want to encourage you. And I said, okay. 
at this point, if you've ever had anybody that's made that statement, sometimes it's hard to think, is this person going to say something crazy? Is this, is this person going to encourage me? But he looks at me, and he says, I just saw your daughter, he said, and she's going to be a lightning bolt for Christ. She's going to just radiate the love of God. And he starts, he starts speaking this to me, and I, I mean, I start crying in the middle of blue sail. I mean, I'm like losing it, not being able to control my emotions. And so I'm, you know, get done. Thank you. I walk out of my, I walk out of blue sail. I'm driving in my car. And I was reflecting on that a lot, meaning there was an opportunity that I had right there where if I didn't obey God to pray for this other leader in the community, that guy would have never prayed for me. And if that guy would have never prayed for me, I would have never heard those encouraging words that I've been able to use to speak over my daughter into her life to encourage her as she grows up. And this, there's this positive encouragement, this word of God in her life now as a direct result of a very small act of obedience. And what I've noticed in my life, and I'm, I'm confident this would be the same for you guys, is that oftentimes the Holy Spirit is trying to get something to you, but he needs to get something through you first. And if you'll be obedient to the Holy Spirit when he asks you to do something, when he prompts you and leads you to do something in your life, he's going to get you, he's going to get what he needs to, to your life. But we first have to obey. And the easiest way that I can see to answer that second question that I started before we, start, before we started talking was knowing, okay, what are some things that I can do to grow in my relationship with God? And then how do I know if some of the things that I'm applying, how do I know if they're actually making a difference? How do I know if I'm actually maturing? Galatians 5.22 is the easiest way that I believe that you can identify growth spiritually. It says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The easiest way that you can see if you're maturing in your relationship with Christ is how the fruit of the Spirit is growing in your life. I know Andy and Shun talked about the gifts of the Spirit last week. Just to differentiate them, the fruit of the Spirit is the personality of Jesus. The gifts of the Spirit are the power of Jesus. So you can have some people that are gifted. You can have somebody that knows how to preach. You can have somebody that knows how to teach. But they may not be spiritually mature at all. Just because you're gifted doesn't mean you're mature. Just, just because you've got a talent or an ability doesn't mean your relationship with God is actually growing. And I could prove this to you spiritually, but let's use culture as an example. How many entertainers, athletes, musicians, people that you may respect and admire because of their talent, but their life is a train wreck because they've never had an ounce of maturity built in to sustain their ability. So just because you have talent and ability in your life doesn't mean that you're mature. And so when you've got the fruit of the Spirit actually growing in your life, Papa Mir in the back, come on, baby. Hello. The newlyweds tomorrow. Hey, we love you guys. We prayed for you. Tomorrow's the day. Go Cavs. I'll just give you an example. In my 20s, I used to pray, God, I, I ask you to make me a stronger leader. Help me to be a better pastor. Help me to communicate when I get up on stage and I preach. 
God, help me with my ability. In my 30s, the way I pray now is, God, help build my integrity. God, help deepen my relationship and my trust in you. God, help make me a father and a husband that my family could look up to one day. Because I've noticed that sometimes we pursue the things, I've done it, maybe you've done it, that really are superficial, really in the eyes of God. Because if we'll just pursue the main thing, keep the main thing, that connection to him, and we'll let him grow the fruit of the spirit in our lives, the other talents and abilities and the gifts that God's placed in you, they will grow as a natural byproduct of your relationship with God growing. Okay, second point, pain is necessary for growth. How am I doing on time? Am I good? How, I don't know how long I've been going. Somebody let me know. Pain's necessary for growth. And this is not meant to be discouraging, I'm not, and I'm not trying to make a, a you know, doom and gloom type of a statement. This is just something I feel like is scriptural. It's going to help you. James 1, verse 2 through 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, that means they're going to come our way. It says when they do. So it doesn't mean you're going to be exempt from it. It doesn't mean just because you follow Jesus, just because you go to church, just because you're involved in this ministry, just because you're called to ministry. We're all going to go through troubles. It happens to someone that's a Christian, to someone that follows Christ, and someone that doesn't live for God one day in their life. We're all going to experience troubles. But when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. See, in our life, sometimes we pray. I've done this before. We pray for God to grow some of these fruits of the Spirit in our life. God, help me to be more patient. Well, when you pray for patience, God doesn't just supernaturally drop patience in your life. He delivers opportunities for you to be able to exercise and see how that spiritual muscle needs to be developed. So sometimes when you ask God to grow things in your life, you are about to experience some big-time pain. But the encouraging side of that is the Bible says count it great joy because this is an opportunity for God to work in you and start to grow some of those things in your life that you've wanted to see. So for me, I look at the story of Job. You can read about his life, but you know the Bible talks about in Scripture how Job, he was serving God. Life was good. He was wealthy, had a family. And the enemy came to God and said, you know what? If you would just let me take everything good from Job's life, I promise you he would stop serving you. And so God said, I'll take you up on that bet. You can take anything from his life. You just can't kill the man. But you can do whatever you want to him. So all of a sudden, Job is afflicted with plagues and boils and health issues nonstop. And then his livestock, his income goes completely bankrupt then the enemy starts to kill off some of his family. And in the midst of it all, these horrible trials, and I can't even really convey the depth of this guy's despair from just talking about it. If you read through it, it almost doesn't seem real. Because you think, God, how could this happen to somebody that loves you and that's following you? But it talks about through his life that despite all the things that were happening, Job never lost that relationship with God. Despite all the the trials, all the afflictions, all the pain, he stayed faithful, remained faithful. Then God ends up blessing him in the end, but he went through this trial, man. And I think sometimes, at least I I never fully grasped it when I was younger. I almost felt like, well, when you're following Jesus, you're able to avoid certain things. 
Well, yes, you're able to avoid some ridiculous mistakes. And when it comes to how we live our life and integrity and choices that we make, that's all practical. But I'm talking about when life hits you and when something doesn't go your way and you're asking God why, you can confidently know that despite anything that happens to you in your life, good or bad, God is faithful. God loves you. God wants to walk through it with you. He's always going to remain faithful to his people. There was a season in my life here recently. I've never had this happen to me before in my life, ever. But I was praying about some different things that I wanted to see God mature in my life. And um, I had a season in my life where I've never been attacked with worry and anxiety like I could describe to you in my life. And what I mean by that is I've never been someone that's worried about anything. I've never had an issue with, I'm just not wired that way. I don't worry. I don't think about all the things that could go wrong. But I found myself having moments where I'm worrying about my kids, my future, decisions, my calling, years down the road. I mean, to a point where I'm, I'm almost feeling a level of anxiety. Like, I'm having a hard time breathing. Like, I've never walked through this before in my life. And this was going on for weeks. I mean, I'm having a hard time sleeping and I'm telling you this story because I'm, I'm praying and I'm asking God, why? Why am I feeling this way? I've never had this happen before in my life. Nothing's changed. And after about a month, I was in prayer and I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me and just encourage me and just say, you don't fully trust me. And I'm thinking, God, I trust you. <gasps> I can't breathe, but I trust you. And I'm, I'm worrying. I'm, I'm having all this anxiety about different things. And I realized, man, this is so true. I, I really, God, I don't really trust you. Because I'm a control freak. I mean, I love to control everything. I like to have everything laid out, a plan for just about everything in my life. And I just realized that if that doesn't go my way, then I really don't trust God the way I say I do. And I believe I went through that season in my life because during that time, guys, I don't know if I prayed as much as I did during that month. I don't know if I sought God in prayer as much as I did during that month. I don't know if I fully surrendered different areas of my life to God the way I did during that time. I truly believe, I was able to count it as a joy. It took me some time, but I found a place of, God, despite the fact that I'm going through it, I know that you're trying to grow something in me. I know you're, I know you're trying to do something in my life that's going to only benefit me. And so I was trusting and then believing that he was going to work that out in my life. The last thing, you can write this down, and then I'm done. You need to find a mentor. And when I say this, I'm talking about it could be a, a father, mother figure, somebody that you respect. This does not have to be a pastor. This does not have to be someone that's on staff at a church. This just has to be someone that's older than you, that you admire, that you see qualities in their life that you want in your life. I have a mentor in my life right now. He's about 30 years older than me. The reason why I meet with him once every two, three months is because he has grown children that are all serving God. He's very consistent, high level of integrity. And I just, I look at somebody like that and I think that's where I want to be one day. I want to learn from you. I want you to help me. And so this is not something, when I say mentor, I know this can be a very confusing, what do you mean? Do I have to meet with somebody every week? Do I have to take them out to coffee? Do I take them out to coffee? How do I do this? Find somebody that you respect. Find somebody that you admire and just ask them. They may or may not be able to do it. That may or may not be a great connection or a divine flow, as Pastor Rick would say. 
But you can find somebody in your life. You've got at least one person that you can ask, hey, can we meet every, and I don't even know what it is. For me, the people that I meet with, it's usually every couple months. And I bring them something that I need, advice, spiritual guidance, or I want to grow in. Man, I need help. How do I raise my, my kids? How do I speak life into my wife? What are some of the things that I want to see matured in my life? I ask somebody that I trust as a mentor that's further on down the road, please help me, speak into my life. The earlier you get this, the better. And for some of you, man, it might take you a while to find one, and that's okay. It may not be the first person that comes to mind. It might actually be someone that you don't expect it to be. But whatever it is, I would say take some time and pray about it and find that person. Ask them. Just start the conversation. Start the search because it's only going to help you. There's all kind of examples in, in the Bible. There's all kind of examples scripturally. Paul and Timothy, Ruth and Naomi, Moses and Joshua, where there was a mentor relationship happening where the older generation was speaking into the younger generation. The whole idea behind mentorship is this. The older generation gives counsel. The younger generation carries it out. So what that means is this is not a friendship. Sometimes we, can, we confuse mentorship with friendship. When you have a mentor, you're really submitting some decisions, some moments in your life to their knowledge because you're saying, I want to be under their authority because I'm honoring them. I trust them. And it doesn't mean you're, you're asking them for permission for every area of your life, but you're inviting them into the conversation. This is not just somebody that you say, hey, what do you think about this? This is someone that you might say, I really need some advice on this area of my life, and I'm, I'm trusting you. I'm submitting myself to you in this relationship, and I need your help. So it looks a little bit different than just a friendship. Here's some ways that you could practically see whether or not you fall under this category. And what I mean by that is, Pastor Rick talks about it as being a son or a daughter in the house. So there's a way that you can figure out real quick if you're a son and a daughter. So if you're a son and a daughter in a mentor relationship, that means somebody that is your mentor is your father or your mother, somebody that you respect, that's someone that has a measure of authority in your life. Here's how you can determine it if you want to write this down. This is just something extra. As a son or a daughter, you're making a life commitment. You're saying, this is somebody that I trust. My life, my, some of my decisions to doesn't have to be that, it doesn't have to sound that epic, but you're saying, I'm inviting you into my life. You're giving loyalty to them. Someone that serves faithfully. As a son or a daughter, you're able to receive instruction. You're able to honor and bless someone spiritually as a parent. It's really just carrying an attitude of honor. That's all it is. And being willing to receive from somebody that you respect. So I can tell you that some of these things that we're talking about, there's no way, 100%, that I'm perfect in any of this stuff, guys. And there's more that we could talk about. But these are just some, a handful of things I felt led that I felt like, man, if, if we could just take one of these, especially the, these disciplines, if you were to say, Foster, I'm weakest at this prayer, obedience, and you start to apply it tomorrow, you start to apply it consistently, I promise you it's going to make a difference. I promise you it's going to help you. I promise you're going to look back one day and you're going to see some of the fruit that you want to see God grow in your life. You're going to be able to look back and say, I'm actually growing as a Christian. I can see it. 
people around me can notice it. Why? Because there's a measure that Scripture has given us. It said if we'll, if we'll grow in the personality of Jesus, then that's going to change who we are because we're taking on his character. We're taking on his likeness. Let me pray for you guys one more time tonight.